April 7, 2022, 42 Days of War in Ukraine. If you go to liveuamap.com, you will see a real-time map of Russian occupation in Ukraine. Today, April 7th, the map shows major Russian military presence and occupation in the south, southeast, and east of Ukraine, primarily in the Donbass, Crimea, and the port cities Kherson and Mariupol, and just on the outskirts of Mykolaiv and Zaporizhia. It is a large area, but compared to two weeks ago, it's a stark difference. In our coverage, we've watched and reported anxiously as the red occupied areas increased in size. Reports of Kiev being surrounded, Chernobyl workers being held hostage, the cities of Cherniv, Sumy, and Kharkiv all facing relentless shelling grew every day. It is a relief to look at the live map today and see the hotspots nearly erased from the map. There are still reports of air raid sirens in Kharkiv, Cherkaska, and Kharkivska oblasts. A report of a 32-year-old man in the Holohiv village near Kiev killed by a car bomb, strikes on oil depots, reports of death and bombings from above by saboteurs, still a lot of reports of rape. The threat is still real, but hope too is real. Just yesterday, 15,000 refugees were relocated by Ukrainian railways. A Red Cross convoy brought refugees from southeast Ukraine to the liberated city of Zaporizhia, and the villages of Dobryanka, Trudolubivka, and Novodonetsky were liberated. Good things are happening. Two weeks ago, we interviewed a volunteer with HelpingToLeave.org to get an idea of how evacuation in Ukraine works. We've been plugging Helping to Leave for a few weeks now, and for this episode, we're happy to finally release this interview. And first, we waited to release this interview because it deals directly with the process of evacuating people, their locations, their routes, their destinations. To keep people safe, it's better to provide old information. Next, our source, Yuri, has asked us not to use his real name. He is a supervisor for helping to leave. He works 20 hours a day following the information coming into the organization, coordinating evacuation routes, and communicating directly with refugees, including providing financial assistance out of pocket, even meeting some in person to provide aid. Yuri is Russian and still has family in Russia. If his identity is released, his family could be in direct danger. Yuri lives in the Czech Republic and, in his words, has lost friends over not only the current war, but also over the annexation of Crimea and the invasion of the Donbass and the war in Georgia. Yuri is one of many Russian expats volunteering their services to helping to leave. Helping to leave has over 300 volunteers who work 24-7 to keep information up to date, talking with people who are stuck in Ukraine, trying to keep them safe and evacuate them safely. Russia has said that some 600,000 Ukrainians have been evacuated to Russia. Helping to leave does not advocate for evacuation to Russia. They recommend against it. We feel this is an important point to make. These volunteers are dissidents. They are advocates for the safety of Ukrainian citizens, and that safety cannot be provided within Russia itself. Yuri has been with Helping to leave almost from the very beginning. It was hard at first, disorganized, and he was unsure about it. No, I just came to demonstration near a Russian embassy one of the first days. I think it was really second days, day four, and uh, met one guy who was uh, sharing the number, volunteering, and I just joined. For the first days, it was unorganized, and I was thinking to leave a project because it was kind of 
chaotic process and uh, there are no correct information. But uh, I started uh, next day, I guess, uh, already in a call, just uh, conditions close to war conditions. And uh, yeah, it happened, it helped. And uh, I started to communicate on a daily basis. I asked Yuri what changed, why he didn't quit, and how the group became more organized. Uh, self-organizing, nothing else. Uh, I, I just, uh, and everyone got uh, more experience, uh, more sources of data we collecting. And yeah, some small effort from everyone is a big uh, movement for a project. So here's how helping to leave works, how it's set up. Say you're in Ukraine. Maybe you live in a small village. Maybe you live in a suburb of a major city. Maybe you're in a major city. Wherever you are, if you have a phone, you can reach Helping to Leave. The organization uses the Telegram messaging app to communicate with Ukrainians. When you go to the Helping to Leave website, it directs you to the Telegram channel, where striking up a conversation with a help bot puts you in contact with a real person. It's not a bot at all. The real person starts asking you questions. They find out where you are, and then Yuri gets to work. In general, he knows the routes to and from all major cities, but he isn't familiar with all of the villages. Yuri uses online maps. LiveUAMap.com is a big one. And then they use other telegram channels to fit the pieces together. Is there food nearby? Is there shelter? Is there someone with a car who can drive you to safety? Yuri, the supervisor, is in communication with a fact checker who verifies all the information that comes in through the chats, and the bot helping you gives you the verified information. Everyone works closely together, even though they may be thousands of miles apart. And in spite of that distance, there is a closeness. Yeah, we're almost uh, not joking, yeah, but uh, always in touch and uh, the feeling is, uh, it's a beautiful feeling when you're working uh, with such a big team and uh, uh, first day everyone is new, second day you know, uh, no, half of uh, people. Next day, everyone knews, knew you and uh, you know almost everyone. And it's a beautiful feeling when you can uh, get such amount of friends, really, mm-hmm. friends in a few days. Yes, yeah, some of them are leaving because uh, we're getting tired of some personal reasons. But uh, for now, I can see that we are growing. In our interview, while we were discussing the live UA map, Yuri made a comment about Odessa, which has not seen any direct shelling, unlike the hardest-hit cities of Mariupol and Kharkiv. He said that it meant too much to Putin. Yes, uh, I have refugees uh, exactly from Odessa in my house, and I have uh, friends that uh, came from Odessa or still live in them. Uh, Odessa is... Uh, symbolic place for Putin and Russians, so it's uh, uh, we're counting that it's a Russian city and yeah, a lot of Russian speaking uh, live there and uh, it's a beautiful city with a lot of, lots of uh, historical buildings, a lot of uh, uh, nice uh, significant uh, I don't know some meaningful things in Russian culture, movies, and uh, uh, I I really believe that uh, Putin cannot damage this city. It's uh, uh, really helping the city to 
causeway cannot damage it. And also as a strategic uh, point that uh, Odessa is uh, available only from the seaside and seaside is a small uh, line of uh, sand and uh, big rocks uh, b between the sand and sea and uh, Odessa. So uh, it's really hard to put troops there or descend some some sound here and they cannot do nothing to reach the city from sea just uh, fire rockets but they don't want to fire rockets and uh, destroy some historical buildings and uh, trying to find a way from Nikolaev region mostly by ground but uh, for now they cannot uh, even pass from Nikolaev. A few days ago, April 3rd, it was reported that an oil refinery in Odessa had been destroyed by a rocket. This would be in an industrial zone far away from the buildings Yuri thinks won't be damaged. At this point, Odessa is threatened only from the sea. 40 kilometers west of Odessa is Polanka in Moldova, and the way is unobstructed. There are no Russian troops along the way. That's great news if you're in Odessa already. But getting to Odessa is another matter. Now, you may have missed it, but at the end of that last clip, Yuri says that getting to Odessa from Mikolaev is impossible. While Russian troops have been driven away or retreated from many Ukrainian cities over the last two weeks, Mikolaev remains a target for Russian missiles. Just three days ago, Doctors Without Borders reported missile strikes in a residential neighborhood near a hospital there. A lot of people and uh, from Nikolaev were transferring people from Nikolaev to Odessa. It's not safe, but sometimes it works. Uh, yeah, even from Kyiv, uh, people coming to Odessa to reach uh, this region and uh, border stations because they are not uh, so heavily uh, occupied and normal way uh, now just uh, to go to palanka few buses and trains come on daily basis and uh, also uh, to romania it's uh, train goes directly to romania from odessa uh, once or yeah one once a day and uh, even to lvov uh, in a uh, western part of uh, ukraine is a existing train on a daily basis moving to Lvov and uh, they can leave Poland and uh, Slovakia directly. It can be hard to wrap your head around, but Ukraine is still a functioning country. Trains run several times a day from all over. Most of them are now evacuation routes. Trash gets picked up, people still have to work. They work in bomb shelters. But in the middle of all that, evacuations and shelter are now a fact of daily life for a quarter of Ukraine's population. For now, it's not a problem. You, you can reach first or second train. If you want to go with a man, so it would be problematic. But if you, for example, girl with kids, it's not a problem to leave it. Hmm. It's great to hear because just about one week ago, uh, the people are waiting in a line about eight, 10 hours, and it was very crowded and uh, a lot of people were screaming. Yeah, uh, I can guess that uh, Ukrainian trains uh, was adopted to this situation and put it uh, some better uh, or more trains on these lines, on these directions. Uh, daily basis, he's adding some additional trains uh, in some heavy loaded regions like Dnipro. Uh, it was problematic to leave this city where you should wait. Never, yeah. You uh, was uh, able to wait a few days to reach the train. It was six up, 
eight trains you can skip uh, to sit on now it's much better and it's not not it, it's still problem to live with first train but uh, second uh, usually it's okay it's uh, it's much better uh, maybe these days uh, week ago more people were going uh, to uh, west of ukraine uh, the number of people living is less uh, and also yeah, some some experience we got and we optimized uh, maybe border stations and uh, refugee camps on them. Now I know on Poland side is uh, some problems to leave uh, some refugee camps like uh, Rubeshov. Uh, it's uh, really overloaded and there are not such amount of trains and uh, buses coming out from this city and people are looking for way how to leave it with uh, personal transport and uh, taxi. As you heard from our interpreter and fixer, the situation for evacuees is completely different. It is much better than just a week or two before our interview took place. Even as evacuating Ukraine becomes more efficient with fewer people fleeing than in the beginning days of war, with better train accommodations, the cases Yuri handles can still be quite complex, usually when children or the elderly are involved. Yeah, in my case, it was yeah, it was a really complex case uh, about a week ago. It started, and uh, the man with his mother, uh, she's disabled, and uh, um, yes, yeah, she, she was unable to move. She tried to leave the country and uh, moved through Poland by my recommendation, and met the problem that uh, nobody uh, was able to help him on the Poland side. Uh, ambulance, uh, what we called, just put him from uh, border crossing station to about one kilometer on Poland side and was waiting for a taxi, what I called him. Then we moved him uh, by taxi to refugees camp and next day from refugees camp to Krakow at night. And uh, then they just, without any help on Krakow, uh, it was really confusing me, they reached Prague just three days ago, and now it's okay, but uh, the old lady was uh, almost dying when she reached Prague. It it was horrible. She she was already sick and uh, disabled, but uh, of course, it was uh, 13 days uh, travel for this lady. It was really, really hard to survive. I'm still in contact with uh, her son, and uh, I know what today she is much better and uh, can talk and uh, understand things. But when uh, I met in Prague with uh, uh, ambulance, uh, she was almost uh, immovable and uh, she was uh, unable even to open eyes and. Uh, uh, yeah, it was it was really hard to see it. So th- does does you meet them uh, in the Prague? Yeah, they, yeah. So are they living right now with you or? Uh, no, but uh, yeah, just, her son uh, just uh, looking for job, and now uh, today I helped him to pick up his uh, uh, clothes and stuff from one place and move to hotel uh, not far from me. Uh, and uh, yeah, on daily basis he is visiting his mother in uh, ambulance uh, 
hospital and uh, yeah talking with me uh, and also already ha- trying to help uh, uh, people uh, Ukrainian people in the same situation in Czech uh, because he already knows about uh, what what to do where to come what to ask uh, so I'm in contact with uh, some of the refugees that I helped already three of them at least uh, here in Czech and uh, I'm speaking with them daily basis. Personal lives also are complicated. There is no such thing as a typical family, and it's the nuance of personal life that can lead to further complications. Uh, most uh, hardest cases are not finished yet. Uh, so, for example, I have uh, one man uh, who is living uh, not far from Nikolaev in a hot region, and he has uh, three kids and he's not a real father for him. He was living with uh, Veris mother and Veris mother was died uh, about a month ago. Uh, and uh, I supporting him by money because uh, three kids and we are in small village, we need money. But uh, we really, uh, most hardest thing is uh, to convince them that they have to leave this area because we don't know. Uh, they're afraid to move and they don't know where to move. And he knows that uh, probably uh, he will not uh, cross the border because he's not a father. And we're trying to resolve this uh, problem with um, getting kind of him documents that uh, he will be a person who, who caring about them. Nobody can care about them. And uh, this, uh, yeah, this case is still open, and uh, I'm looking uh, to way how to resolve it. Yeah, uh, most of these cases is uh, old people who were lived on this the same territory in the same house for tens of years, maybe from whole life. So it's really hard to convince them to leave this house, and uh, maybe they. Uh, afraid that uh, this house will be never exist in the future. I don't know. A lot of people uh, have special cases like mother that cannot uh, walk or even sit and they need special transport transportation and uh, no, not able to go by train or bus. So these cases are most complex and taking a lot of time to resolve. In some instances, families face the hardest decisions of perhaps their entire lives. To save a child or children, families may decide to split up. A month ago, March 8th, a video surfaced of a boy walking alone at the Polish border. The claim was that he had been sent to the border alone, but it was later clarified that he was actually following his mother, just outside the video's frame. Unfortunately, there are real instances of children being evacuated on their own. I met one guy that uh, just arrived to Prague. I was uh, volunteering in translations in Prague uh, in a railway station. And one lady came to me and uh, saw that a small guy, about eight or nine years, just arrived. And uh, his mother is still in Ukraine. And she asked me what to do. I just... uh, answered for the place uh, about the place that uh, she can come with his kid and uh, I don't know unfortunately what happened next but uh, yeah it's not a common case but sometimes it's happened yeah mother decided to save 
kids. In some of the hardest hit areas, helping to leave has limited options for people trying to evacuate. If there are no green corridors, if there are no safe routes out of a city or village, the advice is to stay sheltered, to stay where they are, to not attempt to evacuate. Main problem is that not any safe way outside from the city. Uh, for example, from Mariupol, first attempts was failing because they started to fire on a column of uh, buses. And uh, for now, it's not uh, it's not safe to stay there and to leave the city. And uh, nobody can guarantee that tomorrow will be any way to leave the city. I guess what what is the guidance uh, that you can give people who are still in Mariupol? Uh, so just uh, keep yourself in some safe place. Just try to get some resources like water and food and wait for good news. If we will have this green corridor uh, possibility to get them out, we will let them know. After a city has undergone severe attacks or is surrounded, it can be difficult to convince people that evacuation is even possible. In spite of the validity of the information helping to leave receives, the situation in a bomb city seems much different to the people still living there. When a green corridor opens, and if there have been reports of civilians being targeted while leaving, people will be hesitant to use the evacuation route. In war, green corridors are not permanent. They may close. Hesitating on an open route means people may miss their chance to escape. Yeah, at least from Kharkov, we evacuated one girl has had already three kids, and she was pregnant on the last few, maybe two months. And I know that a uh, child was born already. I, I really didn't ask, uh, was it on the Ukrainian side or somewhere else, but we were moving them to Poland. So it was really uh, emotionally interesting case. And uh, for now, I know that everything is fine. So she was pregnant and decided to leave from Kharkiv, right? Yeah, uh, so uh, it's not really difficult to leave uh, Kharkiv. Uh, at least uh, after a few days of uh, attack, so it was uh, open from the south side almost uh, every time. But uh, people in Kharkov uh, didn't want to leave, uh, and uh, they were afraid that uh, they will be shooted on the way. And uh, there were some cases when they were shooted, and uh, it was a little bit personal for me because uh, sister of my friend here in Prague. Uh, tried to leave Kharkov and first day she did not come with uh, buses when the green safe corridor was uh, created. She didn't come because she didn't believe uh, that uh, it's safe. Second day everyone wanted to reach this bus and about 600 people tried to sit on uh, buses that can handle about 1,000 people. And uh, third day, she definitely decided to leave, but uh, corridors were not open this day. I'm happy that uh, the day after this day, they were able to leave Kharkov. So uh, first days of occupation for a city, it's uh, really hard to decide to leave it because people cannot believe that uh, they're in danger. Uh, usually in few days we're understanding that we're in danger and we're really in danger in that days. And uh, it's much har harder to get them off from this danger. 
finding an evacuation route, believe it or not, is kind of the easy part. Moving people from point A to point B to safety has complications. Telegram is the primary means of communication, usually the only form of communication, and keeping a phone charge becomes a primary concern for evacuees. Charging phones is the primary concern for thousands of people, so being able to actually do it is not guaranteed. And while free options for evacuation exist, there is also the likelihood that people will have to pay for transportation if they are not using a train or a bus, if they have to get a ride with someone else. The price for a car ride was, in the beginning days of war, three to 4,000 euros. The price has come down a lot, but the price to save one child is about 200 euros. Yeah, usually this trip takes, for example, from Dnipro to Lvov, it will take uh, one up a few days because we are changing uh, cars and trains and, and queues uh, and traffic and uh, maybe other people will take them uh, to and put to another train or bus. And uh, in trains uh, and uh, buses, there's no way to charge your phone. It's, it's a big problem that people go in with phone and first hours it is it's completely discharged. And uh, as I know, kids uh, cannot ask for help uh, at least the same way as adults can. So they just uh, stay without a charged phone, without connection with parents. It's a problem. Even in trains, uh, uh, maybe now situation is better, but <laughs> first evacuation trains was equipped by free charges per train. And uh, so it's impossible to charge phone. So uh, I know that average price uh, for uh, drivers who who uh, drive some people from Ukraine, it's about 200 euros, right, for one person? For now, yes. But uh, for example, uh, first days of uh, attack to Kharkov, it was uh, priced to 3,000 euros. Each border. It was crazy. So now it's about 200 uh, of euros. It's just to bring one uh, child from, from Ukraine and move them to a safe place, right? Right, but almost uh, almost uh, always exists uh, some freeway. Mm. Yeah, if you are, at least if you are in a big city already, so it's uh, almost always exists some way to reach any Europe country for free. As I mentioned earlier, helping to leave does not advocate for evacuation to Russia. Some people do make that decision to go to family, but this is rare. The real situation that people take into Russia are being abducted and taken across the Russian border. There, people are searched, interrogated, and their passports are taken. They lose all contact with the outside world. Their phones are taken away. They are accused of being Ukrainian operators. They're also held in camps. Yeah, sometimes people deciding to go to Russia. It's not a kind of problem from my side. Maybe they have relatives there and uh, maybe they are feeling that it would be better. But uh, in most cases, what uh, I just uh, saw in at least our organization, it was like, uh, for example, bus or uh, personal car is coming to Mariupol and uh, just uh, telling that we, we can evacuate you. And instead to move to Zaporozhye, for example, to Ukrainian side, where go into Russian side to Rostov. And uh, yeah, people write on us that uh, what 
where are we going? We're going to Russia. So we're literally just kidnapping people sometimes. Mm-hmm. Is it a common situation that people trying to to leave to, to leave to go to Russia by their willing? No, no, it, it happens sometimes, but it's uh, it's kind of exception. Uh, so one thing that uh, I know that they're taking uh, from them their passes. It's really happened, but uh, what happens next, I don't know. I know that uh, some people from uh, Russia, of course, helping refugees also. I don't know how many refugees now uh, go into Russia or kidnapped or go by themselves and uh, how many of them getting help. Some of them definitely, uh, so the uh, Russians making kind of shows uh, how they're helping refugees on the Russian side, but the rest I'm not sure because uh, there are no massive news about massive refugees, uh, not, not a lot of information about this. Yuri left Russia about 15 years ago, around the time of the Russo-Georgian War, a point he says that Russia crossed all lines of how normal people think when Russia sent troops beyond its borders and began killing its neighbors. Keep this in mind when the social media hot takes suggest this war isn't that bad, that Putin is justified, that Ukraine is full of Nazis or whatever they're saying. This same narrative has been used repeatedly, the same way the U.S. uses terrorism to justify foreign intervention. For Russians like Yuri, it was a sign that the Russian government was devolving. He's lost friends over the past 15 years. Uh, when, uh, for example, I left country uh, permanently one year before Georgian conflict. And when the Georgian conflict happened, I already knew what uh, something, it will continue. So with our countries from ex-Union, it will continue. And uh, when uh, past happened, I was pretty sure that it was made by some uh, particular reason, and now I know the reason. They just crossed the line, but uh, after that, after that, uh, nothing to discuss with them. They just crossed all lines of normal people thinking. They started to kill people outside Russia. Yeah, I'm just uh, curious, have you ever bumped into a situation when uh, you uh, meet with very opposite opinion about all of this, that a lot of people was dying in 2014 and that we just trying to help. And how yeah. did you, how did you manage this communication? I'm trying to keep my emotions uh, in some borders because I really don't know what happened with them, with some of my friends that uh, were visiting me in Prague just a few years ago and we were walking they, they, they was normal people so they was uh, mindful uh, normal friends and for now I'm just uh, trying to find some key how I can change their minds so I'm not uh, aggressively spamming them by real news trying to understand what happened to them and how to get them in uh, you know their minds, normal minds, because I, I cannot believe that they're thinking, really thinking about this situation as they tell about it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm lost several friends just because we were like, I mean, it's hard. 
even because it's it's very it's hard because when you start to talk about this you very fast move from discussion of the conflict to discussion of your personality like uh, very personal things but it, it when you don't have arguments uh, it's just one option yeah yeah and also i notified that the main believers it's the people who are not able to leave russia if they are not able to leave russia so uh, i think it's like a self protection they 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 wish to believe that russia is, is not a killer is not a murder and for this reason they switch to this uh, yeah, i just uh, can guess what one main reason that uh, the truth is so hard for them that they just unable to believe. Yeah, first uh, thing is uh, propaganda. So it's uh, when I'm visiting Russia, it was really impressive thing that uh, from every corner is... They started from small things, yeah, just 10 years ago, uh, from just coloring one small piece uh, of white to black color and now everything is black they moving step by step and uh, unbelievable but uh, it's really effective job people who live in, in this uh, territory pressure of propaganda 10 of years uh, they can just uh, it's another world in our dim- dimension they have own truth and it's uh, impossible to just tell them that uh, everything is different so as putin said that there are no border of russia so we just will continue because i i think he is crazy or uh, it's really impossible to believe the things that he's telling helping to leave has helped evacuate 7000 people from ukraine since february 24th the day russia invaded each evacuee has been helped by a network of supervisors, operators, and specialists. They are volunteers who work 24-7 with a single goal, save as many lives as possible. Most of them have direct connections to both Ukraine and Russia, family and friends spread across the borders. Some relationships are strained, some are kept in secret. Yuri doesn't tell his parents how he volunteers his time to keep them safe. He doesn't, in his words, spam his Russian friends with, quote, real news, but hopes to find another way to change their views on the war, if that's possible. He believes it is. Helping to leave accepts donations, and they are looking for Russian and Ukrainian speakers to volunteer. Helpingtoleave.org.